0: extremes, if you would rather hear about ways America could get along, then you're listening to your new favorite guide from the Political Void, also known as the Middle of America Politics. Let's join our host for an entertaining look at politics. Here's Craig Allen! Happy New Year 2024, America, and all who are listening across this great land, Welcome in to our first edition of the show for this new year. We are hoping that America can come together this year. With an election coming up, with our primary season getting ready to start, we want to see a peaceful, prosperous, hopeful, process for America to get a fresh start this year. As it appears, we are grinding to a slow start in so many places in 2024. So let's change that around. Let's get a new start. On the show today, we will highlight a great American hero again as we get to part two of our feature on the great George Washington. Yes! We will also talk about the election Process. We will talk about Trump being removed from the ballot in our Poli Sci for the Normal Guy segment. We will discuss how a person gets on the ballot in the first place and how often someone is removed from the ballot. We are going to look at the impeachment situation with our president, Joe Biden, who may be in a real pickle with his son's money troubles. And we will look at this today. Finally, we will talk about a movie that has a real New Year ring to it, A Message of Hope and Christian Renewal, How to Change Your Heart which is a good thing to do in the new year, in our movies that protect us from political correctness portion of the show. Finally, a couple of inspiring quotes to start the new year. I am Craig Allen. You are listening to the podcast Lefty Lucy, Righty Tidy, a Texan caught in the middle. We are so excited to start the new year off right. Right. the rulings in maine and colorado that former president donald trump cannot appear on the ballot there we decided to take a look at how someone gets on a ballot to begin with and why they have the right as they think they do to take his name off the ballot there in our segment poli for the normal guy a presidential election is not a national election in the United States. So many people are wrong about this and misguided. The U.S. is not really voting for or against Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Uh? To get elected, you must win a series of elections in each state you must first win in primaries or caucuses in each state in the primary season unless you're gonna run as an independent and then you must win a general election but each state holds an election and you must carry enough states to win a majority of what they call the electoral college and you must win a majority of the votes there to win the general election to get your name on a ballot The process is kind of just crazy to begin with, but this is the way you do it. You go by collecting a series of signatures from registered voters. Now, how can you do this? Well, you can't, (laughs) to be honest, because in most states, they require you to collect thousands upon thousands upon thousands of signatures. And one man or one woman by themselves cannot walk around in a giant state, let's say Texas, for example, and collect thousands and thousands of signatures. It's just not possible. So you must have help. You must have people helping you. You must have volunteers. You must have paid helpers who run around and do this for you. Or you must have a party that is supporting you and pushing you and they help you get this done. This process of collecting signatures must then be submitted to the secretary of state. That is, if you're running as an independent or if you're running through the party. In most cases, if you're running as an independent, signatures from the masses have differing requirements, but each state generally asks for a percentage of the voters who voted in the previous elections. In Texas, for example, it's 1% of the vote from the previous election. If you are running as an independent in other states, it can be calculated in different ways, such as the total percentage of registered voters, or you got to get a certain number of signatures from each congressional district. Get to the deep. That's not the end of it, though. You must also pay a filing fee. You must also submit your name by a deadline and so you must have all these signatures together before a certain date and have it submitted through the system if you get in through the party system which is easier frankly because they do a lot of the work for you and help you out with this you must have collected enough signatures required by each party so each party As you do that before you can really get in through their thing. Now they help you with that. Most states require anywhere from 1,000 to 10,000 signatures, although that does vary widely. You must then get through the primary or caucus season. You must also file to get on the ballot by the deadline. You must also pay a filing fee there, but the parties generally handle a lot of this for you, which is why it's easier to get in through a party system. Yes! Which is why we have so many people not running as independents, or not running on third parties or other parties, because that's why the main two parties run everything. It's so hard to get all this other stuff done. Ouch! In President Trump's cases, he got on the ballot legally. He was ready to go for the elections in Maine and Colorado. But the Constitution protects us from having criminals or problem-causers from being allowed to be elected to positions of power, especially, of course, the presidency of the United States. The clause was enacted after the Civil War and is part of the 14th Amendment. The claim to me, though, is anti-democratic that tries to say that Trump participated in an insurrection against the United States. Was he there, running through the Capitol? Did he grab Nancy Pelosi's computer? Was he throwing things at the buildings? Was he running with all those people, crazy people? Was he doing all this stupid stuff? No. Pow! Since there are statements to the contrary, not to mention that he actively did nothing on January 6th except for a tweet that asked people to stop doing crazy stuff, oh. I frankly think this is a bogus claim and it won't hold up in court, which is why it's being shuffled to the Supreme Court. Whether you argue this or not, he did not actively participate in an insurrection. We are protected in this country with our speech. If you say, for example, there's a fire in a theater, you're not protected with that speech. (laughs) So there are certain things that we are not protected with, but in most cases, of political speech you are protected with that kind of speech. If he said something that made a bunch of nuts act like a bunch of nuts we can't hold that against him. (laughs) We can't start arresting people for what he said. Otherwise we could start arresting people for a lot of things. There were Politicians on the left who said a bunch of crazy things that caused riots in Ferguson, Missouri. Yes. There were a lot of politicians on the left that said a lot of crazy things that it were involved in school shootings. A nut is going to be a nut no matter what. Yeah. No matter what is said. So, a person, what they're saying is not going to stop nuts. Or you can't blame a normal person for what crazy people are going to do. You can't blame a nice high school student for being shot by a crazy nut in a high school shooting. Stupid people or sick people are just that. In any case, I believe the democratic process should be allowed to work itself out. I would rather have someone else other than Trump in this process. I am pushing for some of the younger candidates to be elected. However, taking him off the ballot is not the way to do it. It would just frustrate those who believe in him and want to vote for him, and it would make whoever was to be elected in his place seem illegitimate. It would be better to beat him Outright, And if he can't be beaten that way, after meeting all the requirements of getting on the ballot, which I just went through and it's very hard to do, then the people have spoken. And those who don't like it can get the process and go through it and get all the signatures and do all the things and then wait four more years and try to beat him or beat the Republicans the next time. In a moment, we ended our last episode of the Greatest American Heroes segment with George Washington marching into Trenton on Christmas and defeating the Hessians. Yes. This was just the beginning of his legacy. Stay with us to find out how he cemented himself as the father of our country and one of the world's greatest leaders. Revolutionary War was far from over after the Christmas 1776 defeat of the Hessians, where George Washington crossed the Delaware River in a brave nighttime raid. Ah! Their men were more than capable and more than powerful, but Washington's ragtag army of farmers defeated them. And this was the first time the people, the colonists, began to believe that they could defeat... Perhaps the most powerful army in the world, the most powerful military in the world, maybe even the most powerful force that had ever existed on planet Earth. And in the second part of our Greatest American heroes segment, we are going to delve back into the life of the great George Washington, the father of our country. This victory was not necessarily helpful from a military point of view, but from a morale point of view. Washington's strength was not always that of a great military strategist. In fact, it was the opposite of that. Sometimes he put his men in great peril, but he was a great general. He led his men. He kept his army together. Yes. Even though they never had enough money, not enough food ammunition supplies and really anything else they had just defeated a powerful force and washington showed his great leadership skills especially in the most dire moments of crossing the nearly frozen delaware river a few days after defeating the hessians he defeated the british again at princeton and dealt them a humiliating terrible loss there were defeats and then victories for the colonial cause until the winters of 1777 that lasted into 1778. This was an especially cold and brutal winter and was unusual. Washington had a 11,000 man force at this point. The winter was so brutal that the Army suffered thousands of deaths due to the cold, disease that broke out, and a lack of necessary medical supplies. However, With Washington's leadership, which shined through, the army emerged intact with men staying in camp and in good order. They spent the winter practicing military maneuvers, becoming stronger, becoming better equipped, becoming more able to fight. The British who had captured Philadelphia began to evacuate New York. Washington hit the moving army with quick hitting small victories. The colonial army began to show it could handle the British even in the open field, which seemed impossible before this brutal winter. The British holed up in New York. Washington was very content with this because now they were backing out of a lot of the other areas. The new United States had worked out an alliance with the French and began to confine the British to New York with the help of the French fleet. In the meantime, General Cornwallis, another British general, had his men holed up in Yorktown, Virginia. The British were merely marking time there until they felt they could put an end to the colonial cause. Washington had absolutely no way of knowing this at the time, that the war could end, but he wanted to attack the British troops at Yorktown since he felt like New York was nearly impossible there were 26,000 troops sitting in New York City. So he felt like this is not something they could do, but they could go to Yorktown and defeat the British there. Instead, Washington and the French attacked Cornwallis' troops. Cornwallis fought back hard, and he held on for a long time, but finally on October 29, 1781, he surrendered. The treasury of the Continental Congress was now depleted at this point, and the French finally departed. But because of Washington and his toughness, the colonial army held together, and the British knew that their time was coming to an end. They began to look for a way out, a way that they could hold their heads up high. And through the French, a treaty was worked out, the Treaty of Paris. And eventually, a new United States came to full fruition. Washington returned home for four years after all of this and tried to simply work on his Mount Vernon estate, which at this point seriously needed his help. He was low on money. His family was low on money. His land was in neglect. Mount Vernon was really in dire straits. (sighs) Congress made things better, though, with a land grant and helped out Washington. And finally, Mount Vernon became profitable again. But democracy wasn't safe. Problems began occurring between the states, including taxation issues, disputes over land, and paying off the nation's war debt. (gasps) Washington began to truly fear for the nation's democratic experiment. James Madison and Alexander Hamilton came to the conclusion that a new constitution would be the necessary thing to give the national government more authority. And this would help solve the disputes between the states. They also wanted this power to endure through time so that there wouldn't be disputes that would arise here and there. Washington thought that he would not necessarily need to be involved in any leadership, but he needed to help out. He didn't want to get caught up as he wanted to dedicate himself wholly to Mount Vernon. Ah. In 1786, Congress approved a convention to be held in Philadelphia to amend the Articles of Confederation. At the convention, which was held in 1787, Washington wound up taking the lead in drafting the new document. Washington was adored for his great leadership, finally was unanimously chosen as president of the United States, and was elected on January the 7th, 1789. He was pushed to this point. He didn't want to do it, ah. but he knew that to save the country and to make it work... Yippee! They needed him. John Adams became his vice president. Washington's reputation and his ability to persuade, his ability to lead, his ability to make everything stick gave credence to the new government. However, there was still some opposition. Patrick Henry, Sam Adams feared an organized centrist power in the federal government was scary. But the Constitution was still ratified by all the states, although some were really close votes. When Washington took office as president, he was presiding over a country of four million people. Now you think about that. We have over 310 million people now and over 11 states, and we have 50 states plus some other territories now. He was considered to be fair, and very mindful of his actions and how it would dictate to future administrations. In his first State of the Union address, he said a free people ought to be not only armed, but disciplined. And if you think about that, this has carried over through time. He was initially called by some Your Majesty and some even bowed to him and tried to show him the same types of things that kings were showed. And he did not like these terms of endearment. He didn't want to be esteemed in the same way royalty was esteemed. Washington preferred simply the title Mr. President. He nominated the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, signed a bill establishing the Bank of the United States, and appointed his own first cabinet. The interesting part of his appointments was that he was not afraid to appoint men who did not agree with each other, even strongly. He appointed Thomas Jefferson as an example, who was the Secretary of State, and then appointed Alexander Hamilton, Secretary of the Treasury. These men did not get along at all. Thomas Jefferson favored states' rights, a less central, less strong federal government, while Hamilton favored a strong, centralized federal government with all the money in the middle of it. Washington signed into law the nation's first copyright laws. He signed into law a tax on whiskey and he ensured each state ratified the Bill of Rights. Farmers then rebelled against the whiskey tax. Washington wasn't afraid. He called up 12,000 troops and quelled the rebellion. He also oversaw the entry of five new states into this beautiful union, North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Vermont, and Rhode Island. He made peace treaties with many native tribes. He worked with Alexander Hamilton to reduce the nation's debt and set up the nation's capital along the Potomac River in a new place that eventually became known as Washington DC, named after him. Washington was soundly reelected to a second term. (coughs) And a great war broke out between Britain and France that many feared could endanger the United States. Washington pushed the nation into neutrality between the two, even though France had sided with the United States against Britain in the war of revolution. In 1795, Washington actually signed a treaty with Britain, causing a stir with Jefferson and James Madison, who opposed it. They thought it violated peace treaties with the French, but Washington was a peacemaker, and he was a peacemaker in general. In other words, he was always looking for the way for peace, the right way to avoid war. He thought war was expensive, it was costly, and frankly, it was bad for everyone involved and he was always opposed to it. Washington looked to even sign peace treaties with others who many thought was impossible. He signed a peace treaty with Spain as well in 1795, firming up the borders between the US and Spain. And this little treaty opened up the Mississippi River for trade, a very important thing that the United States needed. Another treaty opened up the Mediterranean for trade. Many wanted George Washington to serve a third term. Some wanted to just crown him king and have him reign until his death. But George Washington saw something different. He declined all, including serving a third term. He said at one point, gentlemen, you will permit me to put on my spectacles for I have grown not only gray, but almost blind in the service of my country. He was tired. He felt that he had gotten the country off to a great start and wanted to demonstrate that no man in a democracy like this should have the power of the presidency for very long and definitely not an indeterminate amount of time. He set the standard for a two-term presidency being the limit. He felt that no man should be king and no man should have a superpower. When he left the presidency, he made the most important speech, perhaps in the history of the United States. And he said he was going to Mount Vernon for rural amusement. (laughs) Many still did not want him to go. They felt insecure about him not being president anymore and wanted him to remain as long as he could on the job. But he himself wanted to take away his own power. Now imagine that today, someone willingly doing that. Some politician especially, especially the politicians we have now that seem only to want to grab power and keep it and hold it as long as they can and they're all fighting for it all the time. Imagine a guy who just gives it all away. That was George Washington, and that's perhaps why he's one of the greatest politicians in the history of the United States. His farewell speech, where he tells us to be wary of geographical Sectionalism. In other words, we shouldn't have the South against the North or the East against the West and so on. We should not divide ourselves this way. We shouldn't have interference by foreign powers. So right now we are investigating the President of the United States for interference with foreign powers. We should not be letting foreign powers interrupt our way of life here in the United States and make our politics icky, make our politicians subject to bribes and political factionalism. One of the things he was greatly worried about was us fighting with each other. He didn't like political parties. He didn't like a lot of things about our current state of politics. Washington points out how we should not divide ourselves based on our differences, but unite ourselves based on our similarities as Americans. Washington despised political partisanship and did not like political parties. He thought that the political thoughts that we have should not become institutionalized. I believe the same way. I think we should listen to this man now for sure. If you are a Democrat, You don't have to believe every single tenant on the Democratic platform. You can believe one thing here, or one thing there. You can believe one thing on the Republican platform. You can be an independent and not believe half of the things on there, but still be a part of the Democratic Party. You should be a free person with free thoughts and be able to do your own thing. Believe what you want and vote how you want. You should not be told by anybody how to vote or how to think. This speech that he made, this last speech, which is so important, is read each and every February on the Senate floor to commemorate his birthday. Live, I love it. In December of 1799, Washington was out inspecting properties in the rain on Mount Vernon. This turned into a cold, which suddenly got worse. On December 14th, 1799, the great George Washington, only 67 years old at the time, passed away in Virginia with doctors doing everything they could to help him. He had an afternoon chill with the cold that suddenly turned more serious, and doctors believed it was a throat infection. His last words were, "'Tis well." So many great things have been said about him over the years, and it's too many for me to tell you here. His legend and the tales of his greatness grew. He was a legend in his own time. He was a legend after his time. He's a legend now. One of the things that was said about him was said by Thomas Jefferson, who did not agree with him on everything. He said, never did nature and fortune combine more perfectly to make a man Great. And General Henry Lee said first in war, first in peace, first in the hearts of his countrymen. Washington left one of the most enduring legacies of any American president, period. He's the father of his country. His face appears on money of all different kinds. He's in dozens of US schools. His pictures you can find everywhere. His name appears on schools, colleges, towns, universities, counties, as well as the state of Washington, and of course, as I said before, our nation's capital. His legacy endures. And the one thing that I want to pass on to especially the younger generation, the people under, let's say, 50, he didn't believe in all the fighting that we have going on right now in politics. He was a peaceful man, he was a man of peace. And he led our country to some of the greatest successes it ever had, financially, politically, and in peace. And we should see him as an example for our way forward in finding peace with each other, in finding peace with other countries, and in finding peace within ourselves. Coming up next, we look at our president, and what a mess his son has gotten him into in a segment we call Thrills from the Hill. How is Congress dealing with it? Could he be impeached for what he's going on there? <laughs> and what happened during a college bowl game that inspired me? Ooh. Stay with us to find out next. take for granted that a president is going to be the president for four years when they get elected. The last one not to serve the full four years was Richard Nixon, who did not serve out his full term, resigning in 1973. Otherwise, just a few others like Kennedy, Garfield, Lincoln were all assassinated and did not serve out their terms. But these presidential terms are spread out throughout history. However, now we have an aging president who is in trouble with Congress for some stuff that clearly looks bad. Yes! But what evidence do we really have on it? We lay out the charges against him and look at what is going on in a segment we call Thrills from the Hill. Could Biden be the first president impeached since... Well, (laughs) the last one, and this is getting really old, all these presidents getting impeached, but I'm not gonna get into that now since I got into it on the last show. You can listen in to my rant on that on the last show. Let's look at the issues President Biden is wandering into. Could it signal the end of his political career? Richard Nixon was not brought down because of what actually happened at the Watergate building. He was brought down because of getting caught for what happened <laughs> at the Watergate building. And this is the essence of why I did not go into politics myself as a career after spending so much time preparing for it. I saw the dirty side of it as an intern at the state capitol, working on political campaigns, visiting foreign capitals. I spent time with Well-known politicians who schooled me on the do's and don'ts, and I met with some really big people in politics, including presidents, their wives, senators, members of Congress, judges, cabinet officials, governors, state officials, and foreign leaders. And I began to understand there is a dirty side, frankly involved money and power. And I know that these people can get involved in some really bad stuff. Wow, well, reckon Is President Biden involved in that stuff? Or is it just his son? Well, let's look at the money trail. That's where you look at in politics. It's either about two things. When you look at what's bad in politics, it's either about money or obtaining or the preservation of power. That's it. When the Clinton impeachment came up, what happened? Even Hillary Clinton turned on the women her husband was being accused of assaulting. This is protection or preservation of power, no matter how you look at it. In the case of Nixon, the same thing, when he tried to cover up the acts that happened at the Watergate building as if he knew nothing about it, and said he wasn't a crook. Yeah. During the investigation of Iran-Contra, suddenly no one could seem to remember who authorized this operation or knew anything about it same type of deal. In the case of Gary Hart, a slight difference. He was running for president. He had an affair. He tried to cover up the affair. This was a case of not someone covering up something to preserve power, but to obtain power. Either way, it's either about power, but he failed. In other cases, though, it's about money. And some of the Clinton's dirty dealings where the investigations have hit dead ends, it's about money involving their foundation. Yes. How is it that two people, like the Clintons, get into the White House with very little money, but after that, they found the Clinton Foundation and leave the White House, and they are worth nearly a half a billion dollars. You have to follow the money. The problem is you can't. They have it worked into that foundation and worked out of that foundation and worked through so many different people. You can't figure out really where it came from, which is why they're impossible to investigate. Then there's the famous case of Alexander Hamilton. If you've seen the musical or heard of it, you know about this. More famous now than maybe ever. He had to admit to an affair to cover up where he was throwing money because they thought the money was being spent on his preservation of power. And as it turned out, it was on a woman outside of his marriage with an affair. Interior Secretary, Albert Fall. Wise guy. I love the name (laughs) because of what we're talking about. Albert Fall. Fall accepted money from Mammoth Oil in exchange for a contract in 1922 to develop the Teapot Dome Naval Oil Reserve in Wyoming became the very first cabinet member to go to jail and in the worst case scenario jack abramoff built 80 million dollars from indian tribes and bribed his way to owning restaurants having tons of power he had wealth he had officials under his thumb he had casinos he had all sorts of stuff everywhere and 10 officials were eventually convicted. Including Tom DeLay, a majority leader for the Republicans at one point and were indicted. And there are more. These are just a few of the ones that I, you go, could list off here. So could Biden be guilty of some kind of funny money? Heck yeah! (laughs) We even had a vice president resign after it was found out he didn't pay income tax so anything could happen. Look at the evidence. Biden is really accused of peddling his influence in different posts through a couple of different presidential administrations. It began when he was elected vice president. His family formed 20 different LLCs. This is limited liability companies. Through these companies, Biden family members have received over $10 million in payments, all from foreign sources. Instead of paying out what was actually due in many of these payments, the payments were made in little small amounts over time, apparently trying to hide the money or the source of where the money actually came from. They were sent to widely varying bank accounts. The Chinese are very suspiciously involved here. Money was directed to Biden family members in various ways, through even Chinese intelligence, or through members of the Chinese Communist Party. (gasps) This money was hidden and filtered around, passed through various associates' accounts, so as to hide the money. The Bidens also received money from Romania, through an associate of a very corrupt Romanian official there, by the name of Gabriel Popoviciu Ah. from the years 2015 through 2017. Now, forgive me for my pronunciation of foreign names. I'm not very good at it. It also claimed, and this is more iffy, that a Burisma executive paid Joe Biden $5 million through a bunch of bank accounts. Now, this last part is under investigation by the FBI, and I'm not sure about the last part being true, but the FBI is looking into a lot of stuff on the Bidens, and their investigation is not finished Joe Biden's son is now charged by the federal government for a range of financial crimes. And looking at all this, we've had a lot of influence peddling with the Chinese ever since the Clinton administration with a wide range of government officials. I believe the Clintons may have even peddled influence themselves and hid it through their massive Clinton foundation. And this organization is one of the shadiest organizations I have ever seen come out of any government officials. Could Biden really be wrapped up in all this? Well, if Bill Clinton could be, Biden could be too. What many do not remember about Biden was that he began his career staunchly trying to stop the integration of the school bus system in Delaware. Yet somehow, he is now not a racist. (laughs) It just shows you how crazy things are in politics. He has jumped from one political side to the other, in his entire career including being the first democrat to roundly bash clinton during his scandals i believe he could be guilty of some of this but as of now i don't see a smoking gun they have done a great job of hiding all of the money and where it comes from and who the contacts are and where exactly this traces from where You cannot impeach someone based on hearsay, speculation, or especially when you don't have a smoking gun. Something that points to someone and says, this is it. This is the deal. I will say this, though. If it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, and quacks like a duck, it is probably a duck. Biden is probably guilty. Until we have eyewitnesses, though, a whistleblower, someone with direct proof, or maybe even a bank that comes forward and says, hey, here's how the money went through. Or maybe even the FBI comes forward. We don't have enough firepower to impeach him. And I'm tired of all the impeachments. So let's get on with running the government. Let's elect someone else. Let's have a different person elected. Let's move on. Otherwise, they can keep investigating... And I think we need to keep investigating to find the truth. But let's not keep impeaching. Impeaching is not the way to run a government unless we have solid proof of a high crime or misdemeanor. Now, in our Inspire and Admire segment, I'm going to look at something crazy, at least for my show. Something that you haven't seen before. Ah! I'm looking at the Arizona Barstool stool college football game (laughs) it was a bowl game uh, this past week and i was watching the game with my family and there's some crazy announcers and some really unusual stuff this was on the tv network the cw something came on that really inspired me a young man and i did not get his name unfortunately won the kick contest on there during the bowl game And the proceeds of this bowl game went to help Arizona sports. And the man whose name I did not get was glowing and it looked like he was happy. He won some type of car. The loser, unfortunately, wanted to win a PlayStation 5 for his military regiment. He was in the military, but he's being a very good sport about it. And as they announced the winner, they said, this is the winner. This is the loser. It was kind of interesting the way they did it. And the winner kept trying to cut in during the whole time that the announcer is trying to console the loser and say, I'm sorry you didn't get your PS5, referring to a PlayStation 5. I'm so sorry your regiment's not going to be able to play the game. I'm really sorry about that. And the winner's trying to cut in, trying to cut in, and finally he turns to the winner and says, congratulations and all this kind of stuff. And the winner jumps in. And he says, I am going to buy a PS5 for this man to have in his regimen. I nearly flipped. I have never seen that in a contest before where the winner decides to go ahead and help out the loser. Not on TV, not on the radio, not any other I was very inspired by this moment. I knew he was standing up for the troops. I knew that was really what it was, was doing kindness for another person and for his regiment. It's usually just, I won, you lost kind of a thing. And I was very inspired that he was willing to give to the military. They're stationed far away from their families because they did make the point that this military guy was stationed overseas during the holidays. And I was very thankful to see someone who would give up money, who would give up their $600, who would give up all that they had just accomplished to give back to someone like that. And be unselfish. It really made me feel great. And I'm sorry I didn't get the man's name. But he's a true hero. And I am inspired by him this week. And now for our last two regular features. The first, movies that protect us from political correctness. The movie this week is an unusual movie. It is a silent film from 1921. And it is called The Phantom Carriage. It is directed by Victor Shustrom and stars himself, along with Hilda Borgstrom, Astrid Holm, and Tori Svenberg. It is from 1921, and I think it could be the greatest Swedish film maybe ever made. The film is based on a book by a Nobel Prize-winning novelist. The film is set on New Year's Eve, where the driver of a ghostly carriage forces a drunken man to reflect on his selfish. Wasted life. Which is how it fits into today. As we reflect on our new year, maybe uh, you need a change in your life. Maybe something different needs to happen with you. This film looks at child abuse, spousal abuse, alcohol abuse, and addiction, gambling, keeping company with those you probably shouldn't, and neglecting your family. It shows what happens when a man just completely ruins his life, mostly with addiction. And what happens when there are moral choices offered and when a man places himself in a different path. It is a horror movie, it's a thriller, it's even a sort of a film noir, it's a fairy tale, it's a religious movie, it's even a holiday movie (laughs) based on Christmas and New Year's Eve. The film owes a lot to Dickens A Christmas Carol, but it goes beyond that. It's a handmade Swedish film, and Swedish film at that time was based mostly on fairy tales and legends, whereas film and other places explored other themes. But this film took Swedish film to a whole new place, exploring other genres as well as the fairy tales and legends. Not sure if you know this or not, but Stephen King's The Shining was greatly influenced by this film, including one particular scene in general. <laughs> This movie also influenced F.W. Murnau's Nosferatu, and there are even elements of this movie in the wonderful Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life. This film was a great foundation for many horror films to come as well as other classic films. After the success of this film, the director came to Hollywood and made many great American films, including the classic silent films, The Scarlet Letter and The Wind. I really love this film and bought the Criterion remastering of it. I highly recommend it. My children really love it, believe it or not. A more than 100-year-old silent film from Sweden with subtitles. And my children absolutely adore this movie. If that doesn't tell you how great it is, I don't know how else to tell you. I definitely recommend it. And it has no political correctness in it. (laughs) And finally today, from a founding father to start out the new year, here is some inspiring quotes or a big fat political joke. We're going inspiring quotes today from George Washington to start out the new year. The first quote, "...observe good faith and justice towards all nations. Cultivate peace and harmony with all." And remember this last one, as this is our election year. Keep this thought in mind as you vote. Washington always looked far ahead and saw something that few others could. He said, quote, However political parties may now and then answer popular ends, they are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. I want you to keep that in mind as our election year Approaches. And I want to thank you for listening to our show today. Let us know what you think by telling us. You could shout it from the mountaintops, but. As of right now, probably the only ones who would hear you are the people on the trails up there. And that would probably be very few because it's really cold this time of year. So instead, we ask that you go to one of the platforms that you hear us on. Make a comment there or to our Facebook page or comment on X. You can hear our program on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, Boomplay, iHeartRadio, Listen Notes, Player FM and Podchaser. Next week, we will look into the life of an opera singer who helped change the way we live in this country in a way and which you may not even know about. <laughs> and we will discuss conventions, political conventions. Are they still necessary in this modern world? So join us again next week for another entertaining look into the world of politics.